This is a Crow's Nest podcast. if we're feeling a little nautical. Uh, thank you guys for coming back, and welcome to another episode of Titanic Talkline. Um, I normally don't go into my personal life right off the bat, but I'm going to just because I want to explain why this is a little bit late, not that I've really been keeping to a schedule. Uh, I drove three days from Texas, and then on my day here, like my first day back in Maryland where I live, I got rear-ended. So I've had to deal with that and putting that together, and then there was a freaking unauthorized credit card charge on my fucking card. So it's just been a mad day from the beginning. And that's why I'm late. This time it's a legit excuse. In the future, the excuse is probably going to be like, I was lazy and didn't do it. So I've been talking for a long time now, and I would like to get to the interview because it was fun. I got to talk to Raf Avila who's going to introduce himself a little more to you, but not only that, uh, he gratefully gave, uh, very gracefully gave me a second uh, chunk of his time because the first time I messed up the record because I'm a genius. I don't know if you figured that out um, by listening to me by now, but I know everything and make no mistakes. So that is how I ended up completely messing up the first interview. But he was really, really, really nice to come back on. We had a really, really great talk. And if you're at all familiar with him, um, you'll be really excited for this. And if you're not, you're definitely going to want to go check out his stuff, which I will tell you all about at the end. So uh, now that I've definitely talked too long, enjoy the interview. Okay, well, just for the benefit of listeners, this is not the first time we're doing this interview because life had other plans, but... Hello. Yes, I am glad to see you again. (laughs) Once again. (laughs) But they don't know who you are yet, so why don't you tell them who you are, please? (laughs) That is true. Uh, Hey, everybody. My name is Raf Avila, Raphael Avila, and uh, I'm often known online as the Titanic guy because I talk about the Titanic sometimes, and uh, yeah. Here I am, Raph. <laughs> I have the benefit of our previous conversation, so I know exactly where we're like to beeline straight in. So you, I, it's funny because I went back and looked at, I tried to go all the way back in my watch history to see what my first video of yours was, but um, I don't think YouTube would go back to the Mesozoic era, so I wasn't able <laughs> to find that. But I think one of the first ones that I found was the TikTok compilation that mentioned the Mexican immigrant, which you had mentioned a while ago, had kind of been part of the reason you got into Titanic. Oh, okay. So you saw one of my TikTok compilations. Okay. I did. So that's cool that you found me on YouTube, though. That That's really neat. That's actually one of the reasons why I started um, uploading those TikTok compilations, just because I okay. figured that you know, every single one of these platforms, it has very different users, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm already creating this content for TikTok. Let me just go and upload that to YouTube and, you know, see if I can uh, get the message and and spread my videos to a new set of audience. But yeah, it's interesting that you mentioned that because yeah, my, my main platform for a while now, since I started, has always been TikTok. Yeah. And you're very um, successful on TikTok too. Thank you. Yeah, it's it's crazy how everything happened. And, and last time that we spoke, I kind of explained the story of how it all went down. Uh-huh. But 
maybe I'll explain it once again yeah, because please. you know the listeners, yeah, don't really know. <laughs> they don't. They're not privy to the two-hour conversation we had. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, all right. So it's interesting. So, um, me, I've always considered myself, you know, kind of like the Titanic guy, and then. Ever since I started going viral on TikTok, that's what people started calling me. So it's not like that I claim the name Titanic guy. It's just <laughs> I, I sort of took it on because that's what people were calling me. So from SEO purposes, it it just made sense, right? It's the best way to get um, a nickname is when someone drapes it upon you like a mantle and it sticks. Yeah, you gotta you gotta just embrace it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, for me, so I've always been obsessed with the Titanic, mm-hmm. right? So we'll bring it back to when I was a little kid. Um, I was probably maybe, I want to say like seven years old or close, yeah, about to turn eight. I was like seven years old and I remember watching a documentary, um, you know, it was like a, a really cool documentary about this famous ship that sank and they were doing all this cool like forensic analysis on there. They had this model of the ship that they were, that they were sinking. Ooh. And that captivated me. I thought it, that, that was so cool. So I remember asking my dad, I was like, Bobby, what is this about? And he explained to me, he's like, okay, well, this is about a very famous ship. It sank on its very first voyage. It had a lot of people on board um, and there were not enough lifeboats. And it's a, you know, very famous sinking called the Titanic. And I was like, wow. So I remember that left an an imprint on me because for me, I've always been obsessed with disasters ever since I was a little kid. I don't know why. It's just so, it's always captivated me. So that one in particular stuck with me. And then this would have been in around 1997. Mm-hmm. And a few months later, in December of 1997, That's that like... is when James Cameron's Titanic movie came out. What a time to have and a tiny as a little interest. Kid, exactly. So even as a little kid, like I made the connection. I was like, whoa, this is the thing that I was just researching about. And yeah. now there's a movie about it. Long story short... Uh, I managed to convince my parents to take me to go see the movie, which I don't know how I did that. Cause like, if you look at the movie, it's, you know, it's pretty heavy topics or nudity and everything, yeah. but it's a pretty intense movie. It's about a disaster. Right off the beginning too. They're like, there is smoking in this. There is nudity. There is strong language. There is everything that a small child everything. should not hear. <laughs> so then me being the small child, I remember going with my mom and I just, I was so unbelievably captivated seeing everything on the big screen the disaster the ship the drama the music everything was just so overwhelming and i was i was addicted i was so obsessed so i ended up going uh, back to the movie theaters several times during that that first initial run Mm -hmm. and that pretty much solidified my uh my interest in sort of this lifelong obsession with the titanic (laughs) like after that for many, many years, you know, in elementary school, all I would do for fun is I would go to the public library. I would take out every single book that I could find on the Titanic. And Relatable. Just, exactly. Just read up on, on the stories, on the passengers, on the timeline of the sinking, and just it pretty much became my life. So that's sort of like the the precursor to what happened on TikTok in 2020. Mm-hmm. So now if we fast forward, it is now April of 2020. We're a month into like the worldwide lockdown. Everyone's <laughs> kind of just, you know, killing time trying to figure out like, you know, what do we do? What you do know, we, we do with really this? Go outside. What do we do with the sourdough <laughs> starter? We, we don't want yeah, exactly. anymore. Yeah, we're, we, we've baked enough banana bread at this point. We got to figure out so. <laughs> something else. 
Yeah, exactly. So I think everyone at that time was sort of, uh, you know, experimenting with TikTok and whatnot. And I had downloaded it a few months prior and I, you know, I was just messing around with uploading stuff. Uh And I, I sort of kind of discovered the power of TikTok because one, like a really silly TikTok that I posted with my wife, it went mini viral. It got like 5,000 views, which is more than anything that I had really seen or had any of my other videos do. Like my other videos are doing a couple, you know, in the double digits, maybe hundreds or something views. So to have a, a TikTok about nothing go, you know, get 5,000 views overnight. I was like, well, this is interesting. Yeah, that's a lot. So it is now April 2020. And for those of you who are listening, you, you're probably into Titanic, you know that April is Titanic month. Absolutely. Right? So, <laughs> so um, it was April 14th. I think a lot of us, we, we have our own little rituals that we do on April 14th. We either watch the movie, we commemorate. So I was getting ready to listen to um, a podcast on YouTube by Titanic Honor and Glory. They're a channel that does the real-time syncing and they, they talk yeah, about yeah, the yeah. events that, that were happening. So that's... That had been sort of my go-to uh, thing to do for the last, for the previous, you know, couple of years. So sure. I was getting ready to do that. And then, you know, I was having a glass of wine and everything. And I was, as I was waiting for the podcast to start, I was like, hey, maybe this is a cool opportunity for me to just make a quick little TikTok highlighting an interesting survivor story. Uh, yeah. And then I'll post it and... Yeah, you know, I'll just play around with it. So I decided to cover the story of the drunk baker, Charles Jugan, which I think <laughs> yes. for a lot of us in the Titanic community, it's a story that we know very, very well. Uh-huh. And so I remember I was like, okay, how do I do this? So I ended up just filming a couple of shots from Titanic, uh-huh. showing the actor, you know, the actor that portrayed right. him in the movie, filmed a couple of shots. Then I saw that there was a voiceover feature on TikTok, so I decided to just do a voiceover, explain a little bit about the baker, mm-hmm. and then so I explained it. I was like, "Hey, you see this guy? He actually, you know, was a real passenger on the Titanic. This is a story. He got drunk, and then he ended up surviving. Right, largely hours in because the water he was drunk. Then, yeah, exactly. So I, I made the TikTok. I was kind of fumbling around, and then I added some captions to kind of back up what I was saying, mm-hmm. and then I posted it." So I posted the TikTok and then I went back to my wine and it started getting ready for the podcast. And that's when I noticed that that particular TikTok started getting some views. Mm-hmm. It went from like 10 views to 100 views to jump to 300 to 500 to 1,000. Wow. Very quickly in the span of like a minute. And I was like, whoa. And then all of these comments started pouring in at a rate that I had never experienced before. And I was like, holy crap, I think this is going viral right now. Nice. And then I saw it go from like 1,000 to 5,000 to 10,000. Like still to this day, I, I haven't had a viral video like that one. Like the rate that it was getting views was insane. Yeah. So I was like, whoa, this is crazy. So I kind of left my phone and then, you know, the podcast started and then I did, you know, did my whole Titanic night activities and, and whatnot. And Great. then I went to bed. And then when I woke up the next day, uh, that TikTok had t- nearly 2 million views. Wow. <laughs> and I had gained almost 10,000 followers overnight. So it was really, really crazy. The growth was almost instantaneous. It really was night and day. I had 35 followers, I think, on TikTok prior to that. And then I woke up with... Close to 10,000. So I was like, whoa, this is nuts. That's pretty incredible. Um, 
yeah, it's it really it really was like an overnight thing. So at that point, I sort of had to make a decision. I was like, okay, do I stick with Titanic facts mm-hmm. or are people more interested in generic movie facts? I had a lot of my friends who were like, no, stick to movie facts because like I think that's what made it go viral. I'm uh-huh. like, listen, like I'm I'm gonna stick to the Titanic stuff because it's what I've been it's been a part of me yeah. forever. Yeah. You know, and this is what I know. Do what and you if, love. If peop- <laughs> exactly. And if people aren't interested in the Titanic facts, then sure, I can go to generic movie facts. So Yeah, but why would you want to do something like that? That sounds exactly. like a horrible like, idea. <laughs> I know. It's not something that I'm really passionate about, like generic movie facts. So yeah, you like, want to go hunting gonna... up facts for showgirls for no reason? Like, what a horrible waste of an afternoon. And it's something that wouldn't be sustainable if it's not something that you like, you know? Yeah, you can't you can't fake enthusiasm. Like, okay, maybe you can, but it's not sustainable. Exactly. So that's why I was like, okay, I'm gonna continue with these Titanic facts. So I you know, I, I thought of some other really interesting survivor stories, and then I made videos in the similar format to that original video. And those videos kept on going viral. Like the next video got like 3 million views and the next one got like 2 million views and the next one got 1 million views. And I just kind of doubled down on that and started going like posting every single day these Titanic facts and the growth in those first couple of weeks was insane. And, And that's pretty much how I became quote unquote the Titanic guy. It was from one TikTok and then from there I just never really stopped. What a fantastic moniker, especially when it is something that you like. It would be different if you, I think it would be a different story if you just started talking about steamships because you were trying to get a holding and suddenly everyone's like, it's the steamship guy. And you're like, not you're like, really, no, no, but. Don't call me that. Don't call me that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it'd be like, I mean, I, I wish you, you know, that I wish you guys stopped calling me that. But, you mm. know, it would have been a very, it would have been a very different channel. I mean, I don't want to say it would be less fun, but I do like that yours is fun because there was a movie made about it. So when you want to bring the tone up, you can always go to the film when yeah, exactly. stuff gets a little well, much. Th- there, there's so much to talk about. Like mm-hmm. We could talk about... That's what people always ask me. It's like, do you think you'll ever run out of content? I was like, no. I mean, <laughs> people have been talking about this for 120 years or 110 years. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like more than... More than, uh, you know, a hundred years of people have been obsessed with this. So that's why I'm always like, no, there's so much to talk about. Survivor stories, about the structure itself, about how the ticketing worked, about the classes and, and, you know, the different Mm -hmm. amenities there. And then, you know, stories of heroism, of of the time on an event, of events. And then there's the movie itself that you can talk about. Mm -hmm. And also the other movies that have been made. Deleted scenes. And there's so much... That, that captivates people. And then if you want to go the historical route, you know what? The, my dogs are barking in the background, everyone. I'm sorry. I'm just going <laughs> to yell over them because if I waited for them to stop, we'd be here for three days. Um, <laughs> go for it. It would be. But yeah, I think that once you start grouping in all the media that comes from it, you can talk about the books that have been written. You can talk about the essays, the dissertations, the nonfiction books, the fiction books, the miniseries and the movies and the documentaries and the YouTube channels because there is constantly content being created. And I, I know that a lot of people kind of fi on TikTok and I'm one of those people like I have TikTok. I created it recently because I wanted to watch a series of videos and you can't do that unless you have a TikTok. But 
you know, even though I may not use it myself really, I think it's an important thing to acknowledge because it is becoming one of the primary ways that people spend time just learning, quote unquote, but also just spending time looking for entertainment. I think if you look at the stats, it's, uh, it's pretty astronomical the amount of time that people spend on this app. And I think, you know, the big, the big reason why is because the algorithm was so different than any of the other social media platforms. The fact that you were, the discoverability was so much better Mm -hmm. than say YouTube or Instagram. It allowed people to pretty much overnight get, you know, a lot of influence and and be able to spread a, a video or message to many, many different people, which I think was is sort of revolutionary. And now what you're noticing is that all those other sort of legacy social media um, platforms like the Instagrams and, you know, Facebook, pretty much one of the same, and, and YouTube, they've now switched their strategy to match TikTok. That's why you're seeing such a rise in in um, shorts on YouTube and in reels on Instagram, right? Because they've seen the success of TikTok. It's so annoying. It's annoying for me as someone who likes the fact that the platforms are different. And I think that's the problem though. It's like, you can't be TikTok. TikTok exists and it exists so well that to go back to your algorithm thing, not to say it doesn't happen for other social media platforms, and I did no research on this, but I know that there are people who have already had to stage TikTok interventions with their children because of the amount of time they're spending on it. And I'm sure there have been Facebook interventions and Instagram interventions, but I think it's the frequency with which, and the how young the kids are. I, I don't know how to really express this correctly, but just- It's addictive by design. It's crazy. Yeah, and that's, both the good and the bad thing because if you're following good content you'll just get more good content but the problem is when you just veer a hard left into something bonkers you will find absolutely everything on tiktok i feel like everything is amplified whether it's good or whether it's bad and you know what for me i've always been somebody who thinks like if you're like if you're less really if you're like 14 12 13 years old it can be very very detrimental yes any social media yes and that's what i hear from other family members that have, have kids and they're sort of that age where all these like this new generation of children they're getting a lot of depression and anxiety because of all this like pressure from mm-hmm. social media it's it's pretty crazy i have a friend who's a middle school teacher who very affectionately refers to her uh students as small lives, which I think is the A plus way to refer to children. But (laughs) she brings up that concern and that she sees a lot of very amplified behavior that you might see in maybe, for example, an entire school of, I don't know, 13 year olds, you may have seen one or two back when maybe we were in school. Now they're seeing it in dozens of children who have very high depression or anxiety Mm -hmm. or who are very addicted to social media or who are pretending to have disorders because they need attention. And these are a lot of things. Right, right. And a lot of these things are born out of TikTok. And I hate to be that person that's like, TikTok's the root of all evil, but it's being. (laughs) I I totally, totally agree with you. (laughs) Because I see that. And and it's, it's really... 
there's almost like this contagion effect that can happen on TikTok if you, you know, because the algorithm works so well that if you somewhat interact with something that you find interesting or if they see that you're uh, spending a little bit more time on certain types of videos, it'll push those types of videos. Uh And that's one of the reasons why in terms of when I create my content, I try to make it as factual as possible. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because it could be very easy with the topics is that gets as many clicks as the Titanic, which I didn't realize got so much attention until right? my account, the rise of my account. Um, it's very easy to sort of sensationalize a lot of the disaster um, and to really lean into some other aspects of the disaster that could garner some more clicks, which is why there's been so many uh, sort of like the conspiracy uh, aspects of the Titanic. You know what I mean? Like there's all these crazy theories and I don't don't necessarily like the use of the term conspiracy because it's an easy way to discount something that you don't like. Like I'm, I'm not a big fan of the term conspiracy, but when it comes to Titanic, there are these theories that whether, you know, the Titanic had was switched and is actually the Olympic or that there was, you know, the Federal Reserve mm-hmm. was the main reason to protect the Federal Reserve, that J.P. Morgan sank the Titanic on purpose. There's these theories. And the reason I'm okay with calling those conspiracies is because when we look at the actual facts, and this is what I've done oftentimes on my TikTok, mm-hmm. is I take those theories seriously and I, I, I just look at the claims and mm-hmm. without being mean or without no. being... Um, trying to put people down, I'm just saying, okay, let's look at this claim. This claim is false because here, mm-hmm. this timeline doesn't really make any sense. So there was no way for Titanic to search at the Olympic. Also, there was no incentive for this, right? So oftentimes on my TikTok, I, I do sort of debunk these theories mm-hmm. and then I show them to be sort of just that, just right. debunk theories, right? Um, Fun and those little stories. Tend to do, yeah, I- exactly. So it's just interesting because I, I, I have noticed a rise in sort of like the the conspiracy Titanic TikToks. And I think now I, I've done enough of these debunking videos that I do notice a lot of my um, my community kind of going into those videos and doing the debunking for me, right? Uh-huh. Because they, they now know a lot of the facts right. regarding the Titanic, which is really cool. Yeah. I think what not concerns me about that, but it's just like it goes back to that algorithm or like, you watch, say, your TikTok on the Titanic conspiracy, and you think, I want to learn more. So you go to someone else's TikTok on a Titanic conspiracy, and then someone else's, and then someone else's, and then someone else's. And eventually, you kind of really lose that degree, and eventually you could find yourself in just a cesspit of actual conspiracy theory holes, where you're just full of absolutely deranged content. Yeah, and you know, some people enjoy that. And a lot of these channels, mm-hmm. they are like there are some, you know, channels devoted to conspiracy theories. Oh, sure. They're they're entertaining and whatnot, but but yeah. I think a lot of the times is uh, the problem is sometimes the a lot of the audience is very young and very impressionable, yes. so it's hard for them to distinguish many things in the world. I mean, they're still developing, right? So that's why people there can be a lot of confusion i have no problem with conspiracy channels at all i think they're entertaining yeah, right? and like i am like I, I do enjoy seeing the the titanic theories it's entertaining for me especially when i see a new one i'm like what i've never even heard that before that's crazy i look into that and i'm like right. okay well this is a new one let me let me look into this one never and I'll, seen that I'll... one before <laughs> yeah exactly so it's just interesting how tiktok works 
Yeah, and I, I, it's good in its own ways, and it's, you know, it's, it's like everything, it's bad in its own ways, and I think that's the same thing kind of, kind of with anything, even, even with, like, the Titanic community itself. It's great in a lot of ways, and it can be kind of frustrating in other ways. You know, it's great in that there's so many people from literally every country and every age, you know, you see something new every day about someone's nephew, son, daughter, niece, did a project, and got into it and so there's so many people of different backgrounds and ages but then there's also a determined group of people who for some reason seem to not like that fact yeah it's uh with i think with any fandom Mm -hmm. and passionate fandoms and communities you always get varying levels of i guess opinions and just there's some people that that get so extremely passionate uh-huh. in a way that just ends up becoming really toxic. And, uh-huh. and sometimes, I guess, within the Titanic community, you have people, you have sort of like the rivet counters that get very nitty gritty with like, you know, the, the exact details in this. And when you try to share a story and if you don't share the exact or if you get a certain technical aspect of the ship you know, incorrect, you know, they'll, they'll go really, really intense. So of course with every fandom and with every community, you get sort of both extremes, right? Like that's true. Yeah. People that like that really go into the sensationalized conspiracy theory aspects and people that are so hardcore into like what we call the rivet counters. But I think there's, there's more toxic communities in the world out there than Titanic. I think for the most part, everyone within the Titanic community, at least on YouTube and TikTok and, and Instagram, the majority of, of people that I've met are really awesome and and passionate. And a lot of us share a very similar story where we sort of discovered Titanic young and some aspects spoke to us and it's just been something that has been a part of our lives whether you're more into the titanic love story from the movie uh-huh. or whether you're more into the technical aspect of the ship and just ocean liners in general or maybe the sinking itself or the you know more interested in the passenger stories there, there's so many different aspects that i think really captivates people there are a lot of different aspects but speaking of things that people tend to have divided opinions on i Alexia, I lost, I lost sound for a second. Okay, there we go. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's on me. I, I, I turned the mute off because uh, on because the dogs were making a particularly oh, yeah, yeah. ridiculous amount of sound, and it was like that is a lot. Um, <laughs> I'm good. But I was what I was trying to say was that you know I agree in that most part that the community has been really amazing and everyone has been so kind and welcoming. I have noticed there are some issues that people really like to discuss whether friendly or unfriendly but one of them and i asked you this last time and one issue that i am particularly interested in is what do you think especially as a younger-esque generation of titanic i mean we're not i'm in my 30s i guess i'm not that young anymore we're still young okay i'm 30 i'm what how old am i i'm 32 we're young okay i just turned 33 (laughs) so it's like yes we're we're reasonably still young but like as members who have been like we're not we're not 13 anymore it's like what do you think that our responsibility is to the rec site for those younger generations? And what do you mm. think that we should be doing about it? Because I know that there's a lot of people who think that knowing the Titanic is disappearing, that we should, you know, long story short, 
plummet for all it's worth and preserve what we can. Mm-hmm. And other people are like, take everything and every surveillance equipment that we have away from there and leave it as it goes. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah. There's a lot. So what, do, what is your opinion? What do you that's, think? That's a really, really good question. Because like you mentioned, this is uh, sort of a contentious topic within the Titanic community, right? And the way that I see that is people tend to gravitate into like two different camps. You have the people that say, listen, this is a gravesite. You need to respect it. Leave it alone. Stop sending people down there. Stop right. the expeditions. Leave it alone. It's mm-hmm. a gravesite. And then you have the the second camp, which is more so what you were describing. It's like, listen, we need to preserve this. Mm-hmm. This is a, a very, very famous wreck, which changed a lot of history. Yeah. And this is something that should be preserved for the next generation. Mm-hmm. We need to be taking as much as we can because Titanic is in fact deteriorating. It's going to be gone. It's not going to be around forever. Right. Right. And, and people have asked me this, um, on TikTok before, and I've addressed it on TikTok because they always ask me, Raph, what, what do you think about this? Mm-hmm. And the way that I think of it is, is as follows. So I totally agree that this is, um, a grave site. This was a very, significant site, right? This is a place where real people died, where real people suffered. And, you know, this is their final resting place, Uh right? This is, this is some, some place that needs to be respected. Right. But I've always said that, uh, from a historical standpoint, I've always been in favor of somewhat salvaging respectful, respectfully, salvaging respectfully and what i mean by that is i do want to be able to see um you know pieces of debris that were in the debris field and everything i would like to see that in a museum rather than have it be eaten and remain unseen at the bottom of the ocean floor that's Um, fair i've personally i've been to the titanic museum in las vegas Mm -hmm. and for those that don't know the the Luxor Hotel is where the Titanic Museum in Vegas is. They're the they're the museum, the exhibit that has the big piece. The big piece. So the the big piece is an actual piece of Titanic's hull uh-huh. that uh, came to a resting spot within the debris field during the breakup. It, it came apart, so it was basically just a huge slab of the hull uh-huh. that was on the bottom of the ocean floor. Um, a couple decades ago, I want to say, I think in the late, uh, maybe in the 2000s or so, it was recovered. Uh-huh. And it ended up at the Titanic Museum. So now there's an actual piece of the hull of the Titanic in the museum. Right. Now, I've been to that museum, excuse me, and uh-huh. I've seen that, that piece. And I think many people can relate that going in there... And as somebody who has, you know, been interested in the Titanic his whole life, mm-hmm. researched, looked at passenger stories, and, and I've gotten to know these people so well through all these stories. And, and just, I, I feel like Titanic is a part of my life. Going in there and seeing a real piece of the real Titanic is something that I cannot even describe. It, it, it was so surreal and so incredibly moving seeing the real titanic something that for 
30 years, well, I think 25 years at the time, mm-hmm. I had been a part of my life. Seeing it there, it's just, it, it truly was an unbelievable experience. And I think there there is something very profound about seeing actual pieces of the Titanic, seeing China that was there, seeing, uh, you know, different the pieces of wood, wrenches, and then seeing the actual piece of the Titanic mm-hmm. In there, in front of your eyes, it really allows you to to feel connected and to remember that this was an actual tragedy that happened to real people. It had such a significant impact and it really was such a moving experience. So it makes me very sad to think that, you know, eventually it's all just going to disappear. In, in my opinion, I always, I take sort of a pra- pragmatic approach that I'd rather see this debris, you know, be live in museums so that the next generation can get to know the story better. We've seen that this is a topic that probably will be, you know, that the the interest will be around for mm-hmm. many many decades, if not, you know, hundreds of years to come. It's it's been a you know we're still interested in it today. So I think it'll be so much more valuable to have people see that in museums and to keep those passenger stories alive and the stories of bravery and and everything just in a museum. Now, as I've said before in my TikTok videos, I'm absolutely against uh, going in there with, you know, the exhibitions going in there and plundering stuff from the actual superstructure, Uh disrupting the wreck that still stands today. I think... uh, it was just show an incredible amount of disrespect to go in there, start cutting in and breaking things apart. Let nature break it apart, and and when when that happens, then then we'll we'll see what you know what we can do. But for for the time being, I, I very much would rather the superstructure stay intact. Leave that and and feel free to to go and take that debris. I'd rather see it in a museum. That's why that, that's my definition of sort of salvage respectfully. You know. Mm-hmm. And that's fair. I think that my, where I deviate slightly is that I, I think I'm a little bit more selective in what I think we should and shouldn't be taking. I think stuff that's branded with the White Star Line, that that's up for grabs because that didn't belong to anyone. That wasn't like Susie Mitchell's fifth generation wedding plate. No, that was second class dining flatware. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like... I mean, I'm sure that for some people they were keeping them because they were, you know, ooh, what a fun souvenir. But it did it wasn't anyone's life story in mm-hmm. those things. So I think stuff like that we can we can collect. And like you said, pieces of, you know, wood or again, things that weren't someone's life. But I feel as though shoes or glasses. Yes, and, or yeah. trunks, luggage, mm-hmm. things that were were part of someone's life. I personally think that we should leave those alone. And I know some people disagree like they're dead. They've been dead for 110 years. Who cares about your luggage when you're dead? It's like you know, I can write in my will that I don't care about my stuff when I'm dead, but these people didn't get a chance to tell anyone, and they died in a horrible and scary way. So I mm-hmm. feel like we should leave their things alone, because it's not mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and see, I think there that's where a lot of the debate is within the Titanic community, even within the camp that agrees with salvaging respectfully. It's sure. Like, sure. Is it a gravesite? Sure, it's a grave site. I also argue, and I think many other people argue, that it's also an accident site. I mean, accident sites need to be investigated and looked at. So that's yeah. fair. Yeah, and i I agree. I agree with you with the with the structure of of the wreck itself because eventually it's going to collapse. 
beeps. There, yeah. there, <laughs> yes. I don't know what one little beam in there is being held up by a barnacle and a prayer, but there's something in there. <laughs> there's just, That's and, a great way of putting it. Yeah. I mean, but it's been down there, again, it's been down there 110 years. Water's getting, you know, it, it moves, the currents drift. It's had 110 years to, to fade away. And at some point, mm-hmm. it's just going to. And at that point, maybe maybe the opinions will change because then it will definitely be an accident site, you know. Pieces of the debris are going to be everywhere. Pieces of the ship are going to come apart and fall. And, you know, there's going to be more access to the interior where you can actually find. Totally. Yes. Yeah. So then it may, the, the, the game may change the day that the that conversation, happens. Yeah, it may switch at that point. Mm-hmm. I wonder when that'll happen, though. It, I mean, I sure, it's there have been, you know, sections of the, of the superstructure that have begun to mm-hmm. collapse, but... It seems pretty intact so far, but it'll be interesting to see when that actually happens, when we really start to lose, you know, the recognizable structure that we know as Titanic. Which is kind of happening to the hull um, of the the stern already. Yeah, well, it blew up pretty much on impact. Yeah, so it was recognizable basically maybe maybe at the tail end of, you know, 85 when they discovered it. It was like, ah. I see. And you know, you see those pictures from 85 too, where you're like, I can see how that's the structure of the stern, but it's all like gutted. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, all, yeah. Yeah. It definitely doesn't hold up like Titanic's bow, but I am curious. I don't know if it's going to be like little bits and pieces fall off bit by bit, or if it's just going to be one thing because something in that center, cause it's a big section. It's huge. It's a very, very big section and it's been so well preserved. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, the, the main reason why we're seeing such a big difference between the bow and the stern is just because of how Titanic sank. If you yeah. think about the, the bow for the two hour for two hours, for example, it was it was sinking very slowly mm-hmm. and, you know, all the air got out of there. But then toward the, you know, the final plunge, the stern sank extremely rapidly causing Uh a lot of air bubbles to be in there and then when when the water pressure got too much that's when you saw sort of this implosion of the stern as opposed to the bow which really had a lot of time to even out that pressure by the time it hit the ocean floor so there's a scene in the disney movie the brave little toaster where they're all tied together and find themselves falling into quicksand and the first person to go in is the vacuum cleaner, and it takes him a lot more time. So he has time to give a grouchy monologue before he goes under. But once he's under, everyone else does not have that time. First of all, they're much smaller appliances. But secondly, once <laughs> one of you is down there, it's kind of like, I. Uh, there's a lot of not resistance involved anymore. And it kind of feels yeah. like that's what happened. The bow had time to be like, oh, God, here we go. Oh, jeez. Exactly. Oh man, and the stern was just like, wait, what happened? Woke up and was like, oh god, we're going down. We're going out. No oh, shit, <laughs> yeah. everyone just like take cover. Oh wait, no, don't yeah. do that. Yeah, I mean, it, they were just it was two really different speeds, and especially when you're dealing with things like, as you mentioned, air pockets and water. An air pocket and water is basically dynamite when it hits the floor. Exactly, exactly. It would have been an incredible amount of pressure going down. Yeah, and just. It's almost as though it's, you know, they say that's why divers have to release so much, you know, air when they when they sink down. Otherwise, you know, the very real risk of having your lungs explode exacerbates because... Even coming up, mm-hmm. too. 
right? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a very real danger. And you know, I'm not one of those people that's afraid of open ocean, but you know, I, I dated someone who was, and I have a few friends who are, and I I, I don't get it, but I I understand how maybe if you had a, a, a an experience where you almost drowned or something, you'd have that fear. But I can understand how even if you're not afraid of water, how you could be made to be very afraid of water very quickly. Yeah. I think it's, it's for a lot of people, it's sort of like the, the fear of the unknown and fear of what is underneath all that and how incredibly massive the ocean is. And mm-hmm. we don't know what's under there. And it's just dark and it's, yeah, I, I, I can definitely see how that's scary. Yeah, and then, you know, you have the very real logic that they give me, which is, don't you like Titanic a lot? Didn't that, like, sink real bad? <laughs> and it's like, it did, it did. I, I see your point, especially because I've been on a cruise before, which the average cruise capacity is, like, double what the Titanic was holding at the yeah. time, too. So it's like, I've taken what seems like a bigger risk. And it's not like... <laughs> It's always interesting because, sure, we've we've advanced so much in the last hundred years, but the one thing that you can't really shield yourself against is uh, ineptitude and people yes. just not knowing. If you recall, in 2012, the the Casa Concordia, that was yes. crazy. Yeah, that was just you know the. Can you remind complete, me about that a little bit? Yeah, so basically what happened was in 2012, um, there was a, a big cruise, um, it was a cruise ship mm-hmm. called the Casa Concordia. It, uh, it was sailing out of Italy and the, the captain was pretty much incompetent and he was showing off to his girlfriend in the, you know, it, it, at the bridge, oh, and geez. he did what was called sort of a sail by salute, which was standard practice and everything. They just go by the coast and they oh. do kind of like a they sail by. Sure. But the captain, you know, it's to kind of impress his girlfriend, went way closer than he should have. And essentially, the Costa Concordia hit some rocks. Ugh. It hit the rocks there, and then the ship immediately started sinking of course i started taking on water uh there was all this confusion the the management they didn't really announce it right away uh, the captain ended up abandoning his ship and uh this the ship didn't sink completely because they were pretty much right there it ran wow. aground essentially yeah but but it did the the ship did capsize and unfortunately i want to say 35 people died which is <sighs> crazy H- how can even one person die in a modern cruise ship. Yeah. You know what I mean? In it in a very similar way, like it's it's another modern ship hitting an inanimate object, yeah. resulting in death. It's it's pretty it's pretty crazy that that happened uh, almost a hundred years to the date. Because I think it happened, I want to say January thirteenth. It was a Friday the thirteenth, <laughs> yeah, twenty twelve. So almost a, exactly a hundred years to uh, to Titanic. I know, I know that I am not allowed to speak on behalf of all women, but I will just say that I have never been impressed by how close you can drive, sail, walk, skateboard, or run next to a dangerous thing. That is never appealing for me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I wouldn't want to be on a ship where the guy's like, hey, babe, I'm going to get real close to those rocks. I'd be like, how about we get as far away from those as possible? Because that yeah, sounds exactly. like a horrible idea. <laughs> 
big oh yeah, yeah. it's really it's absolutely it's so insane. dumb his name was uh, Captain Francesco Schettino, and he yes, is now in jail. Him. Yes, shame He's him. He's in jail currently. Yeah, Good. It's, it's ridiculous. The stupidest it, move ever. Um, that isn't, isn't a, actually, life isn't a Bond movie. I know. There's recordings of him. Pretty much, he had already abandoned ship, and the Coast Guard is basically ordering him. He's like, get back on your ship. He's like, oh, I, I can't, I can't. And he just refuses to go back on oh there and God. help his passengers who were still on the ship. There was people... Uh, pretty much scaling the side of the ship. Once the ship had capsized, oh, no. there was people scaling there. It was, it was insane. And since it was in 2012, there was a lot of footage. Footage, of, yeah. Yeah. Of the rescue efforts. It was it was really, it, it was madness. For the benefit of the listeners, I had my face covered for about half that story out of just like sheer secondhand embarrassment of how people can act. There's a lot of uh, interesting documentaries about the uh, the disaster. It's called I'm the Casa sure. Concordia disaster. This reminds me of the other disaster, which I was confusing it with, which was the Seawall Ferry disaster in oh, 2014. Yes. yes, I made a TikTok about that one, actually. I haven't seen that one yet. I'm going to have to go look for that now that I have TikTok. But <laughs> I remember I remember that I had the same feeling that I... I don't know why I wasn't paying attention to the Casa Concordia. I, I don't know, but... I had that that same sort of feeling as like, I'm sorry, how is this happening in 2014? And again, as you said, there was, you know, smartphones and cell phones there. There's footage of this ferry going down and recordings of people's last minutes and texts out to loved ones. It's absolutely horrifying. And for those, for for the listeners who who aren't familiar with this, it was basically a a ferry uh, in Korea and there were a bunch of high school students. They were taking a trip. Tons. And a lot of them ended up dying because this ship, this ferry started sinking. My understanding is that there was a, it was a load of mismanagement. So there was a cargo. It was overloaded. And also it wasn't properly spaced out. So uh-huh. the ship started taking on water because, you know, the load was there. And I, I, I believe the... The ballast tanks weren't filled to, to provide stability. So as soon as the water started coming in, it basically kept, you know, if you were top heavy and you start getting water to one side, mm-hmm. then it starts keeling over and over and over, right? So that's pretty much what ended up happening. The ship, uh, the ferry started capsizing very quickly and many, many students mm-hmm. who had been told, who had been instructed to stay in their cabins Explicitly. by uh, the officers. Yeah, stay in your cabin, do not come out. Uh, they basically became trapped, and they slowly drowned as yep. the ship completely capsized. And there were text messages and calls that went out to the families, and it's, it was just completely heartbreaking. It's awful. And I know that afterwards they did a, um, an inquiry and found just a massive amount of corruption at every level, from like the loading docks to the inspectors. And it's just absolutely horrifying when you read about things like that happening. And, and also the... Uh, the lack of response from the uh, the rescue team as well. There was a lot of government mismanagement. And my mm-hmm. understanding is that this disaster sparked a national outrage that eventually led to the impeachment of the Korean president at the time. Yep. That's my understanding. They, they demanded a swift and immediate response because they were, rightfully so, South Korea was absolutely horrified by what had happened. And I don't blame them. It, it was a bunch of people attempting young people whose lives hadn't even truly begun 
being lied to. And like Mr. Costa Concordia, the captain abandoned. He just completely And there's a video. Off. There's a video of him. There is. <laughs> abandoning ship. And he crazy. looks like a little, little freaking coward as he does it, too. Has, like, trouble getting over the railing. It's like, you idiot. Yeah, we weak old man. Just, like, Jerk. being pulled. Let all the kids, yeah. Like, <sighs> it's really, really crazy. And then you think about those kinds of things happening today. And it's just like, we learned everything and nothing from the ship of dreams, didn't we? I know. And that's what I said. I mean, you, you can put in all these different safety checks and, and make sure that processes are in place, but you can never truly protect and, and guard yourself from incompetence (laughs) from human error as well. You know, exactly. And you know, we now have like GPS and laser location and all kinds of other things that I don't understand, but our technology <laughs> is just way better. And back in 1912, it was like, how do you, you know, you think about how they charted their position. If you blinked the wrong way and moved your pencil, you're off by three miles. And that makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. And that's not to say that anyone was incompetent. I'm sure that, you know, as Dan Parks discussed in his interview, all of the Titanic officers were very very competent so it wouldn't have been intentional but you know just a little centimeter off and your plot's wrong and then you're you're going directly into ice instead of sailing right past it Mm-hmm. and it's interesting it's very interesting because the position titanic's position was calculated twice by fourth mm-hmm. officer boxhall the first time he he calculated it then he gave an updated calculation which was then transmitted over but we now know that the position was slightly off. Yeah. It wasn't exactly on. Um, but that mistake ended up uh, helping the Carpathia find Titanic's mm-hmm. um, position. Because if they had gone to like where, where, where Titanic truly was, then they wouldn't have got there until many hours later. So that sort of mistake ended up helping the survivors get rescued sooner. Mm-hmm. Fortune was on their side in that case because didn't they found the wreck site because they basically saw a lifeboat directly in their path, wasn't it? Well, yeah. So they they uh, they raced the Carpathia raced towards the reported position. Mm-hmm. They didn't see anything, which was shocking to them because they're like, "Wait, this is the biggest liner in the world. Um, we should be seeing." This huge ship by now. This is right. very concerning that we haven't seen anything. And then, all, and then they started seeing flares go up, the green flares from you know the lifeboats, and that's when they realized, oh my god, the ship is must have sank, must have completely sank. And that's as dawn, you know, as the sun rose up, that's when the lifeboats became visible, and that's when the rescue effort started. Pretty much at around four thirty in the morning, I want to say. That's incredible, and I, I read too that you know, um, even though he was taking a lot of risks, they happened to pay off for him. But you know, one of the things that he did that I thought was firstly really ambitious, but secondly very kind, was lowering nets in case there were people still in the water who could climb in. And it's just like that is such an optimistic thing to think to do, just in case there might have been maybe one person they could have got from the water and it's um it's so interesting to to really do a lot of research into the perspective of the carpathia and to captain arthur rostron because him and his entire team really need to be given so much credit for their for their efforts that night 
And <clears throat> I love just hearing the story because if you think about from where they were coming from, the Carpathia had left New York and they were actually heading to the Mediterranean to do their Mediterranean run. They were going oh. there with passengers, right? So the, the Carpathia was an ocean liner, just like the Titanic. They right. had paying passengers and they had to get them to various locations in the Mediterranean. There were going to be several stops. Um, For some reason, I it, thought they kind of ran counter to the Titanic. I never even considered they did. where they... Oh, they, I, they were going in the opposite direction. Ah, yes. Okay, okay. Because if you think Titanic uh, was coming from... From Europe, mm-hmm. from England, from Southampton, right. going to New York, and Carpathia was going from New York to that side. So they gotcha. were going in opposite directions. So basically, Carpathia had already passed Titanic's location. They, um, they, they basically got the the message um, in the middle of the night, like it was like twelve fifteen or so, and then so the. The wireless operator on the Carpathia, his name was Harold Cottom. He was about to go to bed, but he just decided to listen in one last time. He was just, you know, while he was getting ready, he had his headphones in, and then he heard the distress signal. He he listened in, and then he, you know, inquired a little bit more, and that's when Jack Phillips was saying, listen, we're sinking, this is our position, blah, 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 and then he confirmed. He's like, are you sinking? He's like, yes. He immediately ran to the captain. He woke up Captain Arthur Rostrin. Just barged in, kind of, you know, that's no not something knock, that you do. No, yeah. And he was like, listen, no the Titanic time. is sinking. We need to go. The Titanic is in danger. They're sinking yeah. right now. Harold or uh, Captain Rostron gets up and he's like, are you sure? And then Harold Cotton was like, yes. He's like, are you sure? He's like, <laughs> right. yes. And with that, boom, immediately took action. He got his entire his entire crew, woke everybody up. And then he essentially ordered the ship to be turned around and to immediately head to the position um, that was, you know, to Titanic's position. Full steam ahead. Uh, he had to act quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he basically, you know, took every single precaution. He informed his engineers to divert all available steam in the ship to the engines. He wanted to push the ship as fast as, it, as the ship could go. And they managed to get a top speed of just over 17 knots, which was crazy for the Carpathia. Yeah. There's reports that even like the, you know, the hull, the, everything was kind of vibrating because yeah. Carpathia was being pushed so much. So all the preparation and the risk and, and the, you know, the the courage really for them to, to just turn around in the middle of the night. They were also navigating through that same ice field, uh-huh. right? So they were taking a lot of risk to be able to provide that aid as soon as possible. And their hope was to be able to get there before Titanic sank. Yeah. Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. But we now know that they went down in history as being the, the, the only ship to, the first ship to respond and yeah. to rescue all the passengers. I remember... <laughs> On the one hand, it's kind of like if it ha- if his plan hadn't worked out and he'd like broken the Carpathia, we would be talking about him in a very, very, very different light. But he didn't. Very yes. And yes. it's and now and the way it ran, the way it actually goes, the story, it kind of feels like a Tom Cruise movie in the sense where <laughs> like you you're just like action done, immediate head to the bridge, yeah, order. Like yeah, it, but it kind of does. It's like. What what freaking maverick decides to divert all the steam from our paying customers 
Yes. And just yeah. go flying through an ice field. It's just like, okay there, James Bond. I need a second time. It's like, you need to calm down. And I'm pretty sure that a lot of people were like, this plan is not going to work. But it, it, it did. Thank Yeah, exactly. Thank God that it did. Mm-hmm. And you know what? You, Captain Rostron even received some criticism for his actions because sure. one, one of the main one of his main decisions that he made when the passengers were brought on board he basically declared a media blackout and he did that more so for respect for the families and and, and everything he didn't want uh basically news reporters journalists clogging yeah. up the wireless lines trying to get information for their story he wanted to prioritize the passengers be able to communicate the list of survivors out to Ugh, family members so absolutely. he basically declared a blackout right and then a lot of the media kind of accused him of trying to conceal information and all this stuff so there, there was some criticism that was thrown his way but i think history remembers him as a hero that he rightly you know deserves to be remembered mm-hmm. as it makes sense to do a media blackout, though, because it wasn't like, again, now when you have cell phones, he couldn't just call up the White Star line and say, I've got your passengers, what happened? And they can't send out the forensic crew to do an aerial scan. They can't do all these things that we can do now. There was no way to verify the information in the moment. The way to verify information was to stay quiet, not allow anything to get out and to reconvene when you got there. Mm-hmm. He also received some criticism, actually, because of the blackout. Um, there, one of the president's um, military aides was on the Titanic, and I believe he died. I, I don't believe Archibald he made Butt. it. I, yes, yes, yes. And and apparently the president Taft was trying to get a hold of the Carpathia, and because of the blackout, they're like, "You, you, you denied the president." You, you, you know, and like, what the heck? And then I remember Captain Arthur Rostron was kind of mortified at that. He's like, I didn't, I didn't know that the president was trying to reach us, but how could yeah, he have my known? Apologies. Yeah. That's one of how many people calling in and um, Archibald, but did, did die in, in, in the Titanic. Yes. Yes. Um, but I mean, how, again, how would you have known? Like, I'm sure again, if you imagine this happening, even in the nineties, let's just say people had landlines. Can you imagine the volume of calls? If there hadn't been a media blackout, there'd be no way to get your actual information, such as ice warnings, position, other ships potentially responding to Titanic who might now be right in your way. Exactly. And there were so many decisions that he had to make, starting with where do I take take these passengers? Do I take them to Halifax, which is one of the considerations or do do, where do we where do we go? So in the end, they ended up just going back to New York, dropping them off. You know, getting things ready, and then they went back to their original run. I think I remember reading that one of the proposed solutions at the time was to send the Olympic. Yes, yes, you're absolutely right. That was something that that was proposed. Uh, Cottom was, you know, the wireless operator was uh, communicating with the Olympic, and they were wondering, okay, should we go over there? Should we take the passengers aboard? And then. It was pretty much Ismay and the captain. They both decided, no, we get the Olympic far, far away from here. The Olympic is nearly an identical twin to the Titanic. We do not want to traumatize these people. Especially on the interior. Exactly. Like, they really didn't want to cause more distress to the survivors. So that's why they're like, no, keep the Olympic far away. Which makes sense to me because it it's not as though the Titanic went down, everyone was able to climb on the iceberg and survive. I think if that had happened, people would have been much more kind about getting aboard the Olympic. But yeah. 
many people had watched half, if not more, than their family perish on something that looked just like that, and you want them to walk down those stairs again. That's another very tragic aspect of the whole story, is trying to put yourself on the decks of of the Carpathia, being a woman and child there, you know, as the last lifeboat gets raised, there the whole the entire railing was just, you know, littered with people just waiting to see if there was maybe one last lifeboat or something else. And the horrible realization finally sets in when Carpathia goes that listen, there's nobody there's nobody else that has been saved and our family is still accounted for, yeah. unaccounted for. There was that um, scene in the in the Cameron film where Cal is looking for Rose and in the background you hear this woman tearfully pleading with an officer, like maybe he's on another ship or is there another list? Please, there has to be another list. Yeah. And he's, you know, oh my God, I'm jamming up slightly, but it's just like, you think about how desperate that must have been, but he's trying his hardest to just be like, I'm so sorry, but this is the list. I don't have any more names. I, I'm betting he's probably thinking if I could manifest it, I would. Mm-hmm. I, I can't. I can't. And a lot of people held on to that hope that maybe, just maybe, there yeah. would have been another ship that they didn't see that picked up some more people. And, and there were rumors going around that other ships were coming and whatnot. But eventually, you know, the, the hard truth would set in. Wouldn't you want to hope that so badly, though, that there was another yeah. ship that, and because of the media blackout, you just didn't know. You'll find out in New York. Yeah, and and imagine being the people waiting in New York to to find out about your family. That would have been, that would have been very crazy. That horrifies me because you know, first of all, you think about being a survivor coming down the gangplank. Just, hi, Aunt Sarah. I'm the only one. Yeah. I know I left with six. It's just me. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to have that conversation. And then there's everyone around. Like, they didn't sort people out by, like, you have family coming, you do not. So people were everywhere, and there was no sorting. And everyone, I can imagine the chaos just trying to push closer. Like, well, maybe they're coming sooner. And then all these survivors probably being asked, like, do you know, do you know, do you know, know Daniel? Do you know, do you know these people? Do Do you recognize any of their names? And just, like everything being so overwhelming oh it would have been such a harrowing experience for these people because i i i read this in a documentary or i i heard this somewhere but someone brought up a really good point that if you think about the people in 1912 they're they weren't exposed to sort of the stimulations that people in our generation are like we go to the movies you see explosions we see all this stuff we're all so desensitized with you know with, with explosions, with disasters, we go to watch disaster movies for fun. But not only right? fake so ones, sort of... but many, many people, lit in, at least especially for me, I grew up with 9-11 in my country. Exactly. So we're in just, you know, kind of the news where we're constantly seeing the mm-hmm. worst of the worst. So we're, we're somewhat desensitized in that way. But if you go back to 1912, these people... Had no idea. They, they weren't used to seeing stuff like that. They're not no. used to seeing a ship sink. So, it, or you know, people dying, people falling, screaming, and whatnot. So, a lot of these people, a lot of these survivors, were truly traumatized for the rest of their lives, having yeah. witnessed the ship sink, hearing the cries of the people when they were in the lifeboats. It's yeah. something that they they wouldn't have had any experience prior to that. 
Boston, right? It would have been it would have been very very traumatizing. Yeah, and you know, in the same way that they had not been exposed to that, in terms of just attitudes at the time, they weren't thinking immediately like, let's get these people, you know, meet, reunite with your family, and then as soon as you reunite with your family, get you something to eat, you're going to go to our grief counselor. Yeah, there's no, no right. concept of counseling right now. Right, exactly. It wasn't like, okay, PTSD then, wasn't you know, a term. What is that? No, it was just yeah. like, oh, give her, give, give them some more insert chemical here and they'll be fine. But like, there wasn't that whole like, okay, you know, and then in a week you're going to follow up with group therapy. We're going to do this. We're going to send a caseworker to your house. We're going to do these. Th-. No. Yeah. It was like, here's yeah. your 20 pounds for the inconvenience and some soup. Good luck. Have a good life. Right. I mean, yeah. we did get you to New York after all. I mean, it wasn't that flippant, but like there were, they didn't set up resources like we, we don't have, they didn't have those nets for people to fall into. Right. And unfortunately, that's the reason why there were many, there were several cases of survivors ending their own lives. Yes. Because they, they were plagued with this PTSD. And one of the yeah. most notable examples is Frederick Fleet. The lookout, Frederick Fleet. Exactly. The lookout who spotted the iceberg. He Ugh. ended his own life, I believe, when he was 67 years old yeah. or so. Because his whole life, he was just traumatized. Yeah. And it was, he had PTSD, as, as we know it today. They didn't right. know what to call it back then. But yeah, that's what he had. And eventually he succumbed, unfortunately. Yeah. And it, it's unfortunate to, you know, there was a lot of people who, as you mentioned, succumbed to that either because of survivor's guilt. Um, yes, that plagued yes. many of the men. Um, people were just, they were so indignant about any man that happened to survive. Like, how dare you? Not realizing that, you know, I'm sorry, did you want first class women to row that boat? It wouldn't get anywhere. They don't have the upper body strength. That's not meant to be critical, but you need to row a boat. You need help. Exactly. No, and it's very true. And and, and sort of, it it really affected many of the first class men just Mm -hmm. because society back then was very, very cutthroat. And yeah. A lot of those reputations were were ruined. Um, for example, Ismay, I, I really don't believe he was the villain that he was sort of painted out to be. And, and you see, you hear a lot of the actions that he took. He, he really tried to help out. Sure, can it be ca- called cowardly having escaped and, you know, collapsible sea? You, you could call it that. You could okay. also kind of try to empathize from like the human aspect, like, Everyone's natural instinct is to try to save yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, another individual is um, the Duff Gordons. Yep. Right? The Yeah. The Duff Gordons were accused of bribing um, people in their lifeboat uh, mm-hmm. from keeping other individuals um, from going on. Right. But what actually ended up happening, this is, they were in lifeboat number one. It's been called quote unquote, you know, the millionaire's lifeboat. It was the millionaire's everything with this ship. Yeah. <laughs> and that was the lifeboat that famously uh, took off, you know, rowed away with only 12 people right. uh, on board. But if we look at the timeline of events, the reason why is because that one was the last lifeboat in that initial row mm-hmm. of lifeboats. They were the forward starboard lifeboats and it was the very first one by that point many people had already moved aft toward the other boat so since it's one of one of the the a forward most lifeboat the officers needed to clear that away as quickly as possible so they just put anybody who was nearby um into the lifeboat which just happened to be the duff gordon cosmo and lady lucille duff gordon and a bunch of stokers a bunch of workers right and 
and the maid as well. And what what happened during the night is, uh, I believe the maid and and Lady Dove Gordon they were kind of complaining like, oh my god, I, I lost like my nice fur coat, blah 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 blah. Mm-hmm. And the workers were like, hey, listen, lady, like, it sucks that you lost your nice stuff, but we we don't get paid anymore. We lost yeah. our stoker kits. That was our life. That's how we make our livelihood. And we, if it, in the case of a disaster, we stop getting paid tonight. So in an act of goodwill, Sir Cosmo Duff Gordon, he basically said, listen, uh, thank you so much for um, for helping us out, you know, with rowing and everything. We, we feel really badly about this. Let us reimburse you for your lost kit so that you can at least get started. So he offered them each five pounds, mm-hmm. which is not an insignificant amount of money back then. No, five no, pounds no. for these people, like that's, that's a decent amount of money. And so... He was true to his promise when they got to the Carpathia. He gave him a check each for five, uh, for five pounds, and the media quickly pounced on that story. And it was sort of spun as to like, oh look, he paid them, he bribed them to be on their own, which, right. you know, they, it it kind of it developed into its own story. It was misconstrued, and and yeah, it really uh, it really affected them from a social standing so it's that's quite unfortunate but that's that you're absolutely right when it comes to like the survivor's guilt especially with the first class men it was it was very very real i'm not gonna lie i'm not one of those people that like empathizes really really well with the uber rich because i'm like oh no (laughs) i'm sorry you lost your fur coat you have 38 right cool but (laughs) you know on that hand it doesn't matter what class you are that's scary we're all human beings at the end, and it's it, they all have human emotions, and sort of like your survival instinct kicks in, and it's you try to put yourself in in you know their shoes, whatever class you were. It's really a matter of surviving. It's just interesting how differently people approach that, yeah. right? I think that's one of the reasons why Titanic still captivates us mm-hmm. to this day, is because think of Titanic and what it represented. It was really sort of like the pinnacle of human achievement of naval engineering it was also the pinnacle of luxury and class and just humanity's triumph over the last over all humanity's struggles over the last couple of of millennia in the 1800s 1700s they didn't have running water now all of a sudden we're at a point in history during the industrial revolution where we can build this super grand luxurious ship to transport people from one continent to the other, that's an incredible achievement. Yeah. And people were sort of, you know, high and mighty and very arrogant in in, in sort of what human beings could achieve. Mm-hmm. And then to have that, that achievement, be taken down by something so insignificant as an inanimate object, an iceberg in the middle of the ocean, on the maiden voyage, um, with all these rich people aboard powerful people aboard and all these immigrants you know yeah. having their hope for starting a new life carrying all their worldly possessions and for there not to be enough lifeboats and for the ship to sink so slowly for all this drama to play out that night yeah. stories of heroism stories of cowardice that's why i think it has such an impact because so many people were able to to, to, to experience those stories, the stories of, you know, Isidore and Ida Strauss right. refusing a spot on the lifeboats, even though they were both old um, and they were offered spots and they were refusing to, to give, you know, take up those spots and refusing to leave each other. Stories like that, right? That's why I think people still talk about the Titanic to this day. There's so many aspects of that that are, that really captivate people. 
I think you touched on it too, and it's what I personally believe as well, that Titanic is a human story, and that's mm-hmm. what keeps people totally. interested, because you can find every spectrum of human emotion from joy to fear, happiness, sadness, panic, love, devotion, acceptance. There is every emotion you can think of probably happened on that ship somewhere between it leaving Southampton and meeting the bottom of the ocean. Exactly. Exactly. I totally agree. And I think that's what I really like about your TikToks too, is that it brings, in the same way that seeing the movie Titanic showed a past event in a modern way, I think that talking about historical events in modern ways is the way to really keep the legacy alive. So, yeah, maybe not everyone loves TikTok. I don't love TikTok, but it teaches some people things. Me too, to be honest with you. Me too. (laughs) I'm, I'm the same way. Like, it's... I, I really don't go on it as much, mm-hmm. all that much, because it's just, it's, it's too much. You end up wasting so much time. Yes. But there's so many, there's a lot of really good creators making really cool content, right? There it's, are. It's, and it's great. And I think that, you know, especially with something like Titanic or historical events, that it's important to gain a new audience that way and to remind people that things from a long time ago are still relevant today. That people back then still had very similar emotions and they were real human beings like we are today. Exactly. And I think maybe that's the crux of it all, but I have now kept you for a long time in addition to keeping you for a long time the first time where I kept you so long I then told you to apologize to your wife for me because it was unreasonably long. It's fun. Time flies. <laughs> it is. I'm definitely, definitely going to want to have you back again in the future, but Raph... Thank you so much for coming on again. This was a massive pleasure. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you so much for having me. This has been super fun. I love being able to talk you know, with other individuals who are so excited and passionate about this topic that for many of us, it really is something that's very near and dear to our hearts. It's, it it's really, it's been such a pleasure chatting with you. Guys, Raf was so much fun to talk to, and you should totally go and follow him on all of his things. If you want to follow Raf, aka the Titanic Guy on TikTok, it is at Raf underscore Avila, and his first name is R A F F like funny, <laughs> and the last name is A V like Victoria, I L A. So it's TikTok at Raf underscore Avila. On YouTube, he is Raf Avila, and on Instagram, he is at titanic.guy. You can also go to his website, titanicguy.com. Nope. Titanic. <laughs> I'm keeping this all in. Titanicguy.com. And he was reaching. He was recently in a new um, documentary, which is on Tubi, called Mysteries from the Grave Titanic, um, and you'll be able to see him on that. And of course, you can also just look up Titanic Guy or Raf Avila or Raf Titanic. Uh, he's pretty ubiquitous in the titanic circle so definitely get in touch with him definitely follow all his stuff he was amazing you guys are great you're even better if you leave me a review on your platform of choice on apple podcast or spotify or google podcast wherever it is you're listening make sure you give me a review because i and this show are clearly your favorite thing on this planet and uh i will see you guys next time thanks so much bye titanic talkline was created and produced by me alexia Be sure to keep up with the show on all the social medias at Titanic Talkline on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That is all one word, Titanic Talkline, T-I-T-A-N-I-C, 
T-A-L-K-L-I-N-E. If you want to get in touch, be on the show, sponsor the show, or have a question or anything you want to tell me, send me an email at titanictalkline, again, all one word, at gmail.com. That's titanictalkline at gmail.com. Thanks so much, and I'll see you next time. Bye!